um, have asked or not asked. Um, Dan Gilchrist, um, who's normally up front and preaching, he's traveling back from Ghana today, so I'm not sure at what point and where he is in his travels, um, but he should be getting it at some point today. Um, and I know there are a lot of people that are going to be glad for him to get back. Um, our preaching continues in Matthew, as we've been uh, for a few weeks now, and we'll be in Matthew 21 if you turn there. Um, and if this, um, if this were youth group, if this were youth group, we would play a game before. We would play limbo, because limbo is how low can you go? How low can you go? That's, that's the name. That's, I'm getting a weird look, but limbo is the thing. That's right, with the poles, and you do it lower, and then like the old people are like, oh, we're not bendable anymore. Um, and we, need, we know that we see that. Um, but there's this theme of lowness um, that's coming out throughout this that we see is um, God loves. He goes low to bring the low up. And um, like many places in the gospel accounts, you know, we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, this is a place where um, the passage of scripture that we're going to read um, will hear things and say, hey, this doesn't sound like what sounds in the other book. Um, Matthew doesn't write in the same, this sounds different than Luke. This sounds different than Mark. This sounds different. And um, this is something we see in each of the gospel accounts. Um, our high school Sunday school class, we've been in the gospel of John. And we say, hey, this, why is he saying this this way? It's different. Um, and this is one of the places that growing up, I had a non-Christian friend who was um, one of my best friends since sixth grade. And he would point at this passage and he would say, you see what happens here? You see the way that they talk about the events here? Um, yeah, this is a contradiction. And specifically, the number of animals that are mentioned in, uh, in this passage. Jesus is going to be entering Jerusalem, and he enters on an animal. Um, he makes a triumphal entry. Um, and some accounts only speak about one animal. Here in Matthew, he talks about a donkey and the donkey's foal, this colt. So it's this mother donkey and the young donkey. Um, and this is you know, helpful for us to know that Scripture isn't contradicting himself itself. Um, the spirit guides and the authors are intentional and um, it reminds us that you know, God's spirit has provided something that is trustworthy, that is intentional, um, that those who write about Jesus, they're not lazy. They're like sculptors. Every detail and every contour has intentionality. Every note of what they put together has purpose. Um, so none of their accounts are identical, but they're all faithful and fruitful, showing Jesus, telling who he is, what he's done. Um, and this encourages me. It encourages me in preaching, because I don't preach the same as anybody else. Um, Dan and I are very different. Um, this should encourage you. This should encourage you in the way that you have opportunity to share Jesus with people. Um, the words and the way that the good news is shown in you is going to look different. It's going to look different between um, households and age demographics and um, all, across, all across the way. God is cultivating something unique in us and how he shows himself, and he's faithful in that um, because he's drawing out by his spirit and showing himself to the watching world. And so Matthew has, for a large portion of, um, of his account, he asks the question, who's Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And the Jewish hearers, they've been um, hearing and reading and brought to this place of seeing Jesus um, by what he does and, and how he does it. 
And as you hear about Jesus, listen to him as the king. Listen to him as king um, and how he goes. Because Matthew, um, he's not lazy, but he's intentional about what he does. And just as, you know, we need to be hearing what he would be revealing of himself and how we would be encountered by him even as he is today. And so as we look into God's word, um, I want you to see that wherever the king goes, wherever the king goes, he claims his kingdom. Wherever he goes, he claims his kingdom, and he does that at his own cost. Wherever the king goes, he's received, but he's misunderstood. Wherever the king goes, he brings healing and restoration, and he does that in himself. Um, So I want to use that as a a lens for us to look at Jesus, to hear how Matthew's speaking about him, um, that wherever he goes, he claims his kingdom at his own cost. He's received but misunderstood. He brings healing and restoration, even in himself. Um, So look along with me, if you would, um, if you have your Bible nearby. We'll read Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and and did as Jesus said, as he had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray to the Lord. Father, we ask with confidence that you continue to care for your church, even today, in this place, in this time. Um, Lord, your people have gathered in your name across the earth. And Father, we, um, we trust and we hope that you continue to speak to us through your word, by your spirit. 
Lord, that you make alive what you have spoken so that we can hear from you, so that we would know you, we would see you, be encountered by your grace, your love and mercy. And so, Father, we pray that you would awaken us. Lord, open our eyes, our ears, soften our hearts to hear and know, to be engaged and encountered by you as you show yourself. We ask this in Jesus. Amen. How's your posture? How's your posture? Um, I ask that because our body language, our posture, it often shows things that we don't realize. Um, it's not always the case, but a lot of times, if you're going to say it's like a poker tell, you could be read by your posture. Um, how do we regard each other? Is your posture closed? We do the, um, you may see, so, so Matt has his arms comfortably crossed, not because he has a closed posture to me. Sorry, Matt, for focusing on you. But just because sometimes it's comfortable. Sometimes um, if you're in heated conversation, this means I'm not interested in what you have to say. I'm guarded and defensive right now. Um, the way that, that um, budding young couples, or you can tell if there's a first date, who's interested in who, how are people's toes pointed? Uh, if someone has their legs, are they crossed away or are they crossed towards? Is someone sitting back with their, with their, you know, with their front exposed or are they turned to the side? There's all these things. Um, you know, there's the classic lean-in, the trying to get closer, the trying to reach out. Um, you know, our body language tells all these things. Sometimes, um, you know, it means not much. Sometimes it means a lot. When you pass each other, when we pass each other, how quick are you to make eye contact? Um, the I'm coming from across the room and I'm, I can look up until I get close enough to actually ha have the danger of making eye contact and so I do a look away and then I walk past. Right? We do these things um, and they give away the things that we think about ourselves. They give away the things that we think about each other. They give away um, the purpose that we think, what are we doing? What are we doing when we gather? And how we talk to people, um, one of the things that made a big impression for me from a couple VBSs ago was uh, I got paired up with Matt. Him and I were teaching the Bible section for, um, for all the vacation Bible school kids. And what I noticed and what was really helpful to me um, is the second day, I had gone first, and so I kind of led off the week. And um, the second day when Matt was up, um, all the different age groups of kids, he engaged each group in what seemed to be like a different posture. So the older kids, he was up higher, speaking more clearly towards them. But when we had the littlest kids, um, I didn't know he was going to do this, but Matt's like down on the floor, and he's sitting, you know, crisscross applesauce. He's sitting Indian style on the floor, and he's got that, and he's got all the little kids around him, and he's down there on their eye level, and he's speaking to them. And I'm thinking, man, I blew it on the first day. I should have been doing this. And I'm like, oh, whatever. Matt's got lots of kids. He has all these educational things. It's just good for me to learn. Um, but it was good to see how ready and how eager he was to get low, um, to get low to communicate well, to get low to show honor, to get low to, to be in that place. Um, and so our postures, they reveal a lot of what's going on inside us, um, whether or not we're walking around with pain, whether or not we're feeling defeat, um, whether or not we're defensive and guarded, are we excited? Are you ready for something? And Jesus, he does a show and tell throughout this passage 
with posture because he comes with a posture that is really unexpected to his people. Um, He is mighty. He is mighty and powerful and kingly, but he comes with meekness. He comes with gentleness. Um, He reserves and restrains his strength. Um, He's the most high, but he comes lowly. And he shows us what it is to be low. He does this lots of times throughout Matthew because um, our hearts are dull. um, Our ears don't hear. Our eyes don't see. It takes us a lot of time to start catching what Jesus is doing. And last week we saw um, from the passage right before this, Jesus is, for the first time, he's not turned away the cry of Messiah that he's getting named. Um, the blind, they've called, you know, Lord have mercy, son of David. They've cried this messianic cry towards him. And every other time up until this, he said, you know, no, now's not the time. Don't talk about that. Um, what you said, keep it to yourself. But here he's ready to receive, he's ready to receive um, the title of Messiah. He's been journeying from um, from this recreating the path of conquest that's been in Israel's history from the time of Exodus um, down towards Jericho. He's turned towards Jerusalem, and now he's headed into the city. He's headed into the city, and he's ready to fulfill prophecy. Um, he's headed towards the temple. It's the season of Passover. This is the, the ultimate time for Israel. And so when Jesus heads into Jerusalem, he goes as a king claiming his kingdom. Um, A main way that Matthew shows this is how active Jesus is in arranging his entrance. There are um, at different times, as we hear about Jesus, where the crowds want something of him, and the disciples want something of him. Even his brothers, they say, hey, if you're the real deal, um, why don't you go ahead and go on up to Jerusalem? Why don't you go make yourself known at this festival? Because you know it's going to happen. And he says, no, now's not the time. Here as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, as he's getting ready, um, he's the one who has the plan. He's the one who says to his disciples, here's what I want you to do. This is something that I'm ready for. This is something that I'm going to create. And so he tells his disciples this. He says, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied And a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Jesus is a guy who spent most of his life walking. Um, He's a laborer, carpenter, turned teacher. He's not a person of great means. Um, Him and his disciples, they travel by foot. They're um, sandal-wearing, dusty feet walking everywhere they go. He's going up on the mountainside. Every now and then you see him get in a boat and they go across the sea to the other side because they're fishermen, so they know their way around boats. Um, but we don't hear and we don't see Jesus on riding on animals. Um, he's, he's carrying his own weight for most of, um, most of what we see. But here it's really meaningful that he's not walking on foot. Um, the blind men, they've called out to him and given him this Messiah title. And here he's making an entrance into Jerusalem that people we see is he's embracing, he's engaging the Messiah call. Um, we don't know exactly what Jesus worked out. Um, some people think 
just like the upper room arrangement where Jesus has the Last Supper with his disciples, he worked that out ahead of time. Um, and so some people are thinking, maybe Jesus sent a messenger. Maybe this is someone who um, has known him from another time in life. Um, maybe he worked out some plans. Maybe when the disciples go to get these animals and Jesus feeds them the message of, say this, um, maybe they had a vision. Maybe they had um, a heavenly messenger appear and say, um, you're going to be asked something of you. Here's what you're going to be asked. Maybe it's just the words of authority that Jesus speaks in himself, that when those who go and bear the name of Jesus and say, the Lord needs this, maybe the authority that passes through them as bearers of Jesus is what's effective here. We don't know. Um, maybe it was just his fame. Whatever it is, um, it's effective even through his disciples. So the disciples are sent, this donkey and her colt, they're brought and they're prepared for Jesus. And Matthew notes that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy in doing this. He says um, Jesus is actually instructing his disciples so that he's riding into Jerusalem. Um, and we'll talk about that more in a second. But you can tell a lot about a person by their ride. Um, you could say Jesus is doing a car show, right? And we're not really uh, a car show church. We have a lot of cars that show and tell things about us. Um, you know, nothing says I've got five kids and transport um, music instruments and choirs like the Finch van. It, it has its statement. Um, um, I turned out from the BP station earlier this week and realized uh, really quickly I was too close for comfort from a diesel truck that pulled out an ace. Um, and then right after that, I texted Russ, thanks for not squishing me. Um, you know, the big work truck, I've heard, uh, you know, I've heard the diesel engine, um, I've heard the roar of Russ's truck from time to time. And it says something. Um, one of my favorites, another favorite is... Um, the Brad Voyle CRV. It's well equipped for up and down the mountain with efficiency and longevity. It's a manual transmission, four cylinder, with a huge row of uh, faculty stickers on the side um, because it goes up and down and up and down and up and down for a decade now. Um, and I'll have to stop there because there's too many. There's the Dubal Bug, which has its own story, and it, there's the Rapier's motorcycle, and there's the the story of um, the Gilchrist Toyota fleet, and there's just, there's so many of the ways that we get around that show, um, they show and tell the personality and the story and the context of what's happening in and through us. And so for Jesus to ride in on a donkey, it makes a statement. It makes a statement even to us now because um, when donkeys, when they show up in story, it's it's um, Don Quixote with Sancho Panza. It's this goofball character who can't even figure it out on a horse. Um, when donkeys show up, they show up as it's Shrek's animal. You know, Shrek and donkey side by side. Um, it shows up as Eeyore. That's, that's the nobility of the donkey. Um, I'm learning more and more My Little Pony. Cranky Doodle. Cranky Doodle is the donkey in My Little Pony. Um, and so everywhere we go, they have this... Um, this grumpy, lacking nobility, stubborn, braying, poor man's transport. Um, and in Jesus' day, it's this merchant work animal. Um, it's, not, it's not a grand, grand way to get around.
But for Jesus, um, his riding in on a donkey, it's entirely intentional. One of the things that, um, that looking at the Gospels together, Mark tells us that Jesus is fulfilling a kingly entrance because he's riding on an animal that's, only, um, that's never been ridden before. The reason you have this, um, this mother donkey with the colt next to it is he rides on the donkey on this colt. Um, and the, the term they use is a mount that's reserved only for the king. And so he rides on this young donkey, and it's, um, it's never been used for anybody. And so there's this, um, there's this way that he's fulfilling you know, you think of the king's stallion. No one rides the king's stallion but the king himself. And here, no one rides the king's donkey colt except the king. And where he rides, he rides slowly and he rides humbly. And he rides even at the expense of grand royalty. But still, he rides. And when he rides into Jerusalem, he rides on a beast of burden. Because he's riding in not to step on people's backs to raise himself up. But he's riding to bear the burdens of sinners. And so he shows the way that he comes in. Um, Jesus is claiming his kingdom because he knows when he rides into Jerusalem, the attention that he gets is um, there's no turning back. Um, There's been times where there's been energy directed at him. That people have um, wanted things and sought things and looked to him for things. And at this point, verse 10 tells us, the whole city is stirred up. There's this energy when he rides in that's created by when he rides in um, that can't get quiet again. When he rides in, he doesn't um, go to a coffee shop. He doesn't um, go hang out at the library. He doesn't um, go at a pub. He doesn't go out for lunch. When he rides into Jerusalem, where does he go? His kingly entrance is he rides in for the temple. He rides for the temple, um, the same place where, you know, Luke tells us his, um, his Passover visit when he's 12. He says, this is my father's house. This is where I was. Of course I was here. This is my father's house. And so he's riding in, claiming his kingdom, even in verse 13 when he says, um, he regards the temple as my house. He claims his kingdom he receives praise in the temple. Even in the midst of the, the, uh, the priests and the scribes, he rebukes them and he says, um, yes, of course, this is the place for me to receive my kingdom, for me to be recognized. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. When Jesus claims his kingdom, he goes big. He goes at the center, at the heart of Jerusalem, And he cuts deep into the pride and idolatry of the people there. And even as the king goes, he's received, but he's misunderstood. So everywhere he goes as king, he's received, but he's misunderstood. Um, No one really gets but Jesus here what's happening as he enters on the donkey. The crowds are excited. Um, Jesus has had crowds traveling with him. That's been the story. He's had crowds with him as he's been going along the path here. And people are flooding into Jerusalem for Passover. But the buzz of Jesus' arrival, it's caught a lot of attention. Um, Crowds are now flooding the streets. People see him coming on the donkey, and they start throwing stuff. 
They're taking off their cloaks and they're throwing them in the street. They're running up into the trees and they're cutting branches and they're laying down branches. Um, They're doing all this because they want to make this thing grand. They want to make it big. They want to give Jesus the entrance of, of what he would receive if he is a conquering warrior king. Um, this is an image that is so culturally displaced from, um, from how we do things today. I mean, the, the sense of grandeur and of, of a statesman arriving is still, you know, it's still the big deal. We stop, we play music, um, everybody stands. Um, but the thing that's happening here, um, if you have the image of, um, of the movie Gladiator, we have a victorious emperor riding into the city, and there's everything focused on welcoming, on greeting, on celebrating, on receiving him. Um, there's a parade, there's pomp, cities are flying its colors, everything is done big. That's what the crowds are trying to do. Jesus comes lowly on the donkey, but the crowds want to lift him up. They, they metaphorically, they roll out the red carpet. Um, they throw on the road their cloak and they throw on their branch so that even though Jesus is riding through on a donkey, the donkey doesn't even touch the ground. They're lifting him up even off the ground. Jesus is received, but he's misunderstood in the shouting of the crowds. Um, the shout here appears twice. It appears as Jesus is coming in on the roads, and it comes later in the temple. And here as the people, as they chant Hosanna, um, what they chant is literally, save please. That's what's on the, on the lips of the crowds. Um, but it's not for them to be healed from their sins. But it's a chant of people that rings like, God save the king. God be with our king. God save in the highest way. God give us victory over these pagan Romans. God cause us to triumph again over these nations. God, bring back the glory in this king that you put on us from long ago, from ages that you would satisfy our desire for reign and rule. That's what's in the voice of the people. And the truthfulness um, and lack of understanding in this is shown in this, throughout the city when they ask, who is this? What was this big entrance all about? And the, uh, the response is this crowd, the same crowd, they say, well, this is the prophet. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. That's how they name him. He's the prophet. Not he's, um, he's the Christ, the anointed. Not he's the expected one of all time. Um, not he's the deliverer of our sin and judgment. Um, but they name him the prophet. And it's the same crowds here that name this, that are the same crowds that will cry crucify at the end of this week. It's at a time like this, looking at Jesus, um, it's hard to imagine a lot of what he went through. But when we think about the humanity that he walked in, um, he must have been incredibly alone in this. He must have been incredibly alone apart from the fellowship of his father to have his purpose and his desire um, trying to have that be carried out by the people closest to him and nobody gets it. Everyone misunderstands him. He's surrounded by people, but no one understands what's going on. As King Jesus claims his kingdom wherever he goes, he's received but misunderstood. Yet despite all this, he brings healing and restoration. And he does this in himself. 
When Jesus enters the temple here, what does he find? He finds things are out of order. And not just a little bit shuffled around. Um, Things are upside down. When he goes into the outer courts, he sees money changers and animal sales. Um, In themselves, the the money changers, the animal sales, that's not bad stuff. Um, People have been traveling from all over. And when they came and they wanted to give tribute for the temple, um, they couldn't do it with whatever coin they had. Whatever money they had, um, there's one currency that the temple uses. Everybody's got to exchange for that currency. So part of what they're doing is they're doing their work and serving the worshipers of the temple. The same thing with, um, with these animal sales is people have come to the temple to make sacrifice. It's not easy to travel from your home on foot as a family or whatever situation people have, but to bring animals for days and days and days for sacrifice, um, it's a good thing that they had sacrificial animals available. The problem of what's going on here is named by Jesus in verse 13. He says, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. The problem with what Jesus sees, the problem with it being upside down, is the temple had its courts. In the temple, having its courts uh, went from outer to inner. And Jesus is in this most out of court, and he's finding what should be outside the temple having been brought into the temple. He's finding that this place, which is the court of the Gentiles, which is meant to be held off for people um, who, it's not their first nature. Um, They don't know the Jewish history of being part of temple worship. They're the ones who would feel like the outsiders. You get that, That, the outsider mentality? Um, When you're the outsider, and you know you're the outsider going somewhere because you're in the outside court. It's like the kids' table, but it's like the kids' table set up with the buffet. Everything's happening there. You don't even have a place to sit. And that's what has been done for this court of the Gentiles. It's this in their face, um, we're filling it with sights and sounds and busyness and activity. What God meant to be a place of prayer for you. What God meant to be a house of prayer for the nations. Maybe it was for the sake of convenience. Um, Maybe it was their disregard for the Gentile people. Maybe it was um, trying to control the market. We don't know. But the whole thing shows the posture of the priests and scribes. They care about themselves. They care, care about their gain. And they don't care that it's come at the cost of anyone. And it's this place that Jesus heals and restores. When he goes into the outer courts, um, he doesn't have to stop there. He's the, one who, he's the only one of them who could rightfully walk through every layer of the court into the Holy of Holies on any day of the week because he alone is high priest. He could turn a blind eye to what's being done to these people in this place. But he doesn't. He stops and he makes right what is upside down. He's turning over tables. He's driving out, not just to make it clear, but he's driving out so he can draw in what rightfully belongs there. Um, The word that Matthew uses here, it's the same word, this driving out, when we hear what Jesus does for the demon oppressed. What Jesus does for the demon oppressed, um, where something is, 
is there dwelling in a place where it doesn't belong. He exercises. He casts out. He removes. That's what Jesus does to these outer courts. He exercises them. Out go the marketers. Out goes exploitation. So that he can make a place of restoration for the Gentiles. He does more than that because he stays there. He doesn't clear it and then head in where he can go. Um, Next will be the court of the Jewish women. Next will be the court of the men. Next will be the priests. And then the holy of holies. Jesus could keep going. He could do his work and move on. But the tabernacling that is in the holy of holies, the place where God dwells, God establishes in this outer courts because that's where Jesus dwells. He camps out there. He camps out there and he calls in the blind and the lame and he heals he does something better that's filled with energy and excitement and celebration um, so that what was before the noise of the merchants and the noise of the animals and the busyness of all that it's filled with life it's filled with life and people being made new people being healed it's filled with the cries of children so that this cry of Hosanna, the same cry that was offered by the crowds, which was focused on, we've got to get our kingdom taken care of. It's the cry of seeing the real work of the kingdom. The cry of Hosanna is the better cry than that which the crowds have cried because they see true praise for the healing and restoration that's happening. The problem of jealousy, the problem of pride... The problem of arrogance, it's been something that's been part of God's people um, ever since Cain and Abel. Why? Why is Abel accepted in his sacrifice and Cain not? Why can Cain not deal with it? Why can Cain not have his heart corrected and led by God? The priests and scribes, they're indignant. Their response to seeing the mercy of the kingdom is they're indignant. Because they see the type of people being welcomed in God's house, in God's fellowship, that they think don't deserve the kingdom. This is the same indignation that um, the disciples have against each other. So the sons of Zebedee, James and John before, when they ask, we want the best spots in the kingdom and the other ten hear about it, they're indignant at the honor that's being robbed of them. And here the priests and scribes are indignant at their honor being given away to the lowly of the kingdom. But Jesus throws open the courts in a way that shows what he's going to do to the temple. There's been a buzz and energy in the city. There's been a lot of excitement. But days later, the city's going to shake. And it's going to shake because creation will quake. The sky will go dark at the crucifixion of Jesus. Because he exposes Israel's robbing heart and he dies the death of a criminal. Jesus shows later by the temple curtain being torn in two that he ends the wall of division. That he does a restoring work. He brings redeeming love into God's house. He reconciles and makes a people for himself. This is what the Apostle Paul writes about when he says, The mystery of Christ ending the dividing wall of hostility. The wall pitted from man against man, humanity against humanity, and God against us. That Jesus drinks the cup of wrath and brings an end to hostility, making peace between God and us and us and each other, because love and justice are satisfied. They're on perfect display. 
because the God who dwells on high and tabernacles at the throne has humbled himself. He's come into the flesh. He's come into the midst of people. Here in Matthew, we hear that Jesus rides lowly. He rides on a donkey. He's a king who comes humble. This isn't the only time Jesus will ride in. We know that when Jesus rides in next, he comes on the clouds, and he comes with glory, and he comes with a warrior's might, and he comes with unchallengeable, uncontested splendor. He comes with radiance and wonder. This same Jesus is our hope, that he has come and been lowly among us to take the lowly to himself, to be with him, to dwell with him, that he makes a place with us. He's our hope. And this is the hope that we as God's people hold out to the world. This is the hope that is lost on the crowds. Um, from the text right before this, the crowds traveling with Jesus and they hear the cry for mercy and they say, not you, we're with Jesus. We are hope holders. We hold out hope to the world. That the God of heaven has not been silent where we see injustice and we see exploitation, where we see hardship and ruin. But he's a God who has entered into history. He's a God who has come to us and he's been at work for generation to generation, making right what is wrong from sin and death. This is what God wants to put on display in us. When we think about who we are today, when we think about who we are in the week ahead, when we think about who we are in the place of lives that we've been placed, this is what God wants to show through us. This is what he wants us to know of him. He's a restoring, redeeming, lowly coming, lifting up God. That he comes in love, he comes gentle, and that this would be shown through us as his people. Let's go before our Lord in prayer. Father, help us to get Jesus. Help us to to hear and see the way that he goes and the things that he does. Lord, for it to make sense to us. Lord, for us to get the substance of what it is that he does and the nature of his kingdom. Um, Lord, what you've begun and at work in us. Um, Lord, we're so resistant to make um, the day about ourselves, to make this place about ourselves, um, to not want those who... Um, who make us uncomfortable be part of this space. Father, help us to know that we receive you, your love and the hope that's in you to hold it out to others. Uh, Lord, teach us the loneliness of your kingdom. Make us glad in Jesus. We ask this in his name. Beloved of God, let's respond together by singing, O Lord of hosts, how lovely, hymn number 371. Thank you.
Please be seated. 